Welcome to episode number 80 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about process startup and shutdown. And to do that, we have on the call Kevin Jeffries, Senior Process Safety Specialist at Decker Process Safety, based out of Baltimore, Maryland. Kevin is a certified fire protection specialist. He has over 20 years experience in environmental health and safety, um, and much of that focused on fire and explosion hazards, and in particular, combustible dust. Um, we'll talk a bit about Kevin's journey in this area in the interview, but prior to moving into consulting and process safety more broadly, he held several industry-specific roles in cereal, food processing, pharmaceutical components, and, and other industries. Today, we're talking about process startup and shutdown. I'm really excited to have Kevin on the podcast discuss this topic. So, Kevin, thank you for coming on the podcast, and I also want to say welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here. So, in the current time that we're in right now, it's uh, late April 2020, and we have uh, the global pandemic, uh, COVID-19, going on. So there's a lot of facilities that are shutting down. Um, and there's also a lot of facilities that are maybe short-staffed, um, have less employees on the floor if they are open. Um, there's going to be a lot of startups um, and equipment's turning off and turning on, startups and start shutdowns going on. This is a, a really important area, especially with intermittent staff, intermittent operation. It's really important to understand the safety procedures for um, safely bringing the equipment back online after turning it off because we do see a lot of incidents here. So I wanted Kevin on to talk through this topic and give some of his experience on on it over um, his, his couple of decades long experience in this industry, but also in relation to what's going on with this global pandemic that we're, we're going through now. So Kevin, maybe a good place to start for the interview would just, can you walk us through some of your journey in combustible dust safety and the industries that you've worked in? Early in my career, I worked for uh, Fujifilm, and uh, uh, to kind of, I guess, date myself, uh, I worked in the uh, magnetic tape uh, factory, and we actually made VHS tapes, so that kind of tells you uh, how, how long ago that was, but um, the primary ingredient uh, or ingredients in, in making the, uh, the tape, you use uh, an iron powder and uh, carbon black, and um, Early out of school, working with the uh, facility, there were a lot of good safeties in place, uh, but there was one incident where um, uh, an operator uh, failed to uh, initiate a uh, nitrogen purge of the system, and so the uh, iron powder, of course, made contact with air, reacted, and caused a, a minor um, flash event from the pressure building up from uh, from the fire inside the uh, the barrel that contained the iron. Um, so. From that, uh, in, in college, we, we really um, kind of dug into combustible dust as a component of overall safety, but of course, didn't do a deep dive, but just had a, an, enough of an understanding to know that uh, organic materials and metals and things like that could explode um, when dispersed uh, and come in contact with a source of ignition. Uh, after Fuji worked for companies like uh, Kellogg, prior to the Kellogg experience, I worked for uh, West Pharmaceutical after their explosion. Uh, to help that rebuild process. I also worked for uh, Imperial Sugar uh, with a team of folks that were part of the uh, the rebuild after that explosion event. So I've had experience with both, both the um, proactive prevention side of uh, combustible dust fire and risk mitigation. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately being part of uh, working through the aftermath of a significant event, everything from the uh, reestablishing culture to rebuilding uh, systems uh, and installing new uh, new equipment. Yeah, I appreciate you walking us through that. And and I did want to kind of because you you mentioned the early days of the magnetic film. So this was pre 
pre-West Pharmaceutical, pre the, the combustible dust uh, hazard study that's done by CSB. Yes. And I would say today I, I still interact with industries that are handling carbon black and or iron and, and may not understand and fully appreciate the explosibility aspects of it. How did you find it back then? Was it you know much different than today or, or how how did it go? It was it was interesting because uh, again there there I remember during orientation uh, there there was actually in the orientation there was a discussion of NFPA 484 and the reason the nitrogen purge was such a critical part of of the process. But one of the things I, I noticed, and, and we went through several, you know, HAZOP studies and other things, but th- that part of the process was still manual and in control of the operator because there was a, a final purge where they would take the, um, the the nitrogen blanket off and remove the barrel and do some other things. And we had talked about automating it, but um, it was something that because of experience, you've always had experienced operators there, they knew. Uh, and this was one of those circumstances. Um, I always hate to use that term perfect storm, but this was a relatively new operator who'd gone through the training, but didn't completely understand the reason for, uh, for that purge and failed to turn it back on after completing uh, one cycle. So th- there, was, there was knowledge and awareness and, and it was stressed that it was an important part of a safety control. But I don't think, um, and even from the response of the local fire authorities, a lot of people did not understand the significant nature of, uh, you know, what was happening in terms of the reaction. Because uh, even what happened, there was a, a barrel of the iron powder, and it it basically built up enough pressure to kind of blow off the top of the uh, the the discharge chute, and it landed in the middle of the process and scattered iron throughout the floor. And you had these little embers that were starting to. Uh, to to pop up because it's reacting with the uh, the oxygen in the environment, and so even when the fire department came and they came in with some hoses initially, and what happened there were piles of the material that when the hose hit the iron initially it created a flash because it dispersed the material that wasn't uh, you know wet at that point in time. So it was a good good learning. Uh, fortunately, no one was injured, uh, but it really focused it called us to focus on uh, reviewing the processes and trying to automate some things um, that were especially critical to uh, maintaining a level of safety. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important story to to share because I see the same thing happen in, in industries today that that are using similar systems, especially when when it's uh, using inerting and, and you know blanket nitrogen or, or blanket systems for inerting. 3D printing comes to mind. Here's a lot, you know, it's 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 inerted. What's the problem? Um, and the the question is, is it inerted all the time? And even when there's an upset condition, um, because if it's not, and you have ignition sources in the vicinity, then you know you you end up this case where the operators may not fully appreciate the hazards. I've heard the exact same thing where you bring a new operator, you know the set points at, at whatever it is to keep the the LOC below, um, keep the oxygen level below the LOC. But you know what's the difference? Let's just uh, let it go up another two percent. So the, the system doesn't have to work as hard and they don't, you know, maybe not appreciate that hazard. And that's when you get a, a fire or even worse, an explosion in the, in the system. Exactly. It, it, it's important with, with any training that, that in addition to kind of confirming that folks understand the information and they can execute it, you almost have to make sure they get the, you know, this is the why, the why I do this particular thing. This is why that gauge has to be within this range. 
my upper and lower limits. What happens when he gets out of the range? What are the potential consequences? And I think sometimes there is that belief that everybody gets it. If I sit them in a classroom and I tell them and they shake their head, they, they've got it. But when it, when it comes down to practice, uh, and, and I see this a lot, particularly in the, the pharma industry and in food, there's more of a and I don't like the term handholding, but there's more of a check and balance. Once the person finishes that classroom training, there's more of a direct um, kind of touch and feel to make sure the person understands the true executables on the job before they're turned loose. Um, and, and so I think that's something that every industry could benefit from. Just don't turn the new folks loose. Make sure they are... Uh, you, you check on them periodically and that you have some kind of qualifier that they properly understand, uh, you know, at the end of a purge, at the end of a cycle, what are those safeties to get the process back in order uh, before uh, starting a new process or a new cycle? Yeah, this is um, not the topic of today's podcast, <laughs> but it's a, it's a critical topic. And I think you mentioned culture in the in your early discussion there. We may have to get you on for another one. And what kind of came came to mind for me was, in that in the in the medical field they use the 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 medical residents use the term see one do one teach one so somebody explains you how to do it then you you do it with supervision and then you teach it to somebody else and if you can teach the not just the how how it's done but you know what's the strategy behind it and and why is it done in the first place to somebody else then you're okay to go on your own and and uh and start working on your own so I think there's, I, I can already see there's some critical things I want to pull out of you on culture and training. Um, but in today's episode, we're talking about this process startup and shutdown, which I think is also a critical thing. So maybe before we jump in there, what is your your current role with DECRA Process Safety? What kind of work are you doing there? Right now, uh, primarily um, doing a lot of uh, DHAs, a lot of uh, you know webinars and, and seminars. Uh, we actually have, have one coming up next week on the 29th uh, on DHA. We're working with a lot of clients to try and meet that, uh, you know, September 2020 deadline to have DHAs, and 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 so uh, the bulk of the work is focused on dust uh, hazard risk mitigation, uh, but also working with some clients on uh, what I call traditional safety. Uh, programs from uh, machine guarding to, you know, lockout, tagout issues, things like this. So it's a, it's a full gamut of, of things that we work on and we're supporting our clients. And what we find is that a lot of, in, in a lot of instances when we're conducting our DHAs, we will identify some other safety opportunities that could create that domino effect where you could have a dust fire or an explosion event. And we try to work with our clients to make sure they get those areas uh, uh, buttoned up and secured as well. That makes sense. And anyone interested in that that webinar, this will come out after that. Um, but the the webinar is coming out April 29th. And I'll see if I can get a link from Kevin to where we can get the replay for that. So if you go to the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 80, you should be able to, to get a replay from uh, a link to the replay from Kevin from that uh, that page. So process startup and shutdown. I want to dive into, just like you said, really, if we start with why, why do we care? So why is this an important topic? Have you, I know you've worked with a lot of companies and industries that have, have suffered from incidents and then kind of worked their way back and you know, implemented new systems. And and then even outside of that in your consulting roles, certainly. Have you, have you noticed that there tends to be more fires and explosions during shutdown and startup operations? Is this something that you, you actually see happening in the, in the field? 
It, it, it's interesting because I see a lot of, it may not result in a large-scale fire or a large-scale uh, explosion event, but the pieces to the puzzle are there. So there, there have been times where because the system sat for some time, particularly with some of your organic materials, um, and, and, and I'll use sugar just for this instance, where you know, the, 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 the vessel sat for some time, it may have even gone through a, a kind of an, a preliminary washdown, but now the material sits there and ferments. So now you've got added pressure in the vessel. You've got now the, uh, the off-gassing from that fermentation, and then you've got combustible particulate solids. And when you kick that dust collector on and you start the system up, you've got now a new mixed bag of materials that could cause uh, a significant event. I, I haven't seen a direct, uh, like I said, flash fire or explosion event, but I have seen instances where the, the bags and bag houses have uh, uh, ruptured upon startup, um, where all of the, the pieces at different times of the dust pentagon are there, but they don't all come together to create uh, create the event. So it's it's a very important topic because a lot of times it's your your plant is not like your car where you could leave it sitting for you know a couple of days, maybe even a couple of weeks, and then you just go back and, and start it up. And you know if the battery's good and all that, it'll it'll start up. When you talk plants and you talk uh, you know particularly combustible particulate solids, and you talk about uh, you know dust systems. And things like that, you've got to make sure that you've got you know, the, the, the right conveying velocities, make sure the lines were purged prior to the shutdown. Even though in most cases, like with what's going on with COVID-19, people aren't doing emergency shutdowns, but they need to make sure it's still an orderly shutdown. And you don't have material stuck in lines that could potentially you know, settle out or create issues long term. Yeah, and before we go into into some of those difficulties, I'll, I'll mention a couple other case studies that we covered on the podcast before. Um, episode 76, we covered a, a nylon flock explosion in Italy. And in that case, it's similar to, to what you're saying with the fermentation and the sugar, except in this case, it was nylon flock, so thread material that settled out on a dryer heating element. When the dryer was turned off, they had to retie the, the flock threads. Uh, when they fired it back up, the off gases from that nylon ignited caused a, a small gas explosion in the dryer and that propagated through all the duct work and back into the dust collector then actually couldn't make it into dust collector split and went to the other dryers and blew off i think 17 um, inspection ports throughout all the dryers so pretty large-scale explosion fueled by these these nylon fibers which are we'll call them a non-traditional dust based on the the work of uh, dr paul amiot and others um, that you don't think it's a combustible dust but it's it's the exact same as a you know, a sugar dust or a small material. So that's an example. And fortunately, nobody, I think, was fatally injured there, but there were three quite injured workers. And just in, not last week's episode, two episodes ago in episode 78 with uh, Dr. Suzanne Smith, we talked about a grain dust explosion in a milling operation. In that case, they had several, I think six or seven different types of different mills, including hammer mills, roller mills, and attrition mills. And in the incident, the attrition mill got choked um, they turned it off, took it apart. There was smoldering combustion inside the attrition mill. They thought they cleaned it out completely, but when they fired it up, the smoldering nest that was left carried through the system and caused a, quite a large explosion that propagated through it all the ductwork again back into the dust collectors and, and blew the side off the building. There are certainly our cases that we've covered even recently on the podcast of of this startup and shutdown being quite severe. 
Um, and I know there's there's other ones throughout history as well. So I just kind of want to highlight some of those. And we we just touched on a lot of the difficulties that can arise. But maybe let's take a shot at you know bullet pointing or what what kind of things can arise. You know, we mentioned clearing chokes in a in a in a milling operation is kind of a difficulty that could happen. Fermentation off gassing. Um, what other things might be happening during startup and shutdown? It's it's um, th- there's that possibility again with 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 smaller crews working that let's say you you're only running you know fifty percent of your operation you've got a couple of lines down and the lines that are running you have some mechanical failure some issue there are times where parts are robbed from the lines that are down to maintain the lines that are up and running. And sometimes it could be a small part, but a significant part. And when that system starts to run uh, run again, if you don't go through a full safety check or a full inspection, um, you could be starting, uh, you know, new equipment uh, without, you know, critical control functions or critical pieces of, of, of safety. Uh, and it kind of gets back to, you know, the requirements to make sure if you're doing any type of pre-startup uh, that you check all your e-stops, things like that. But I, I think there is that that tendency that once that line is down, it's it's you know, depending on how it's taken down, other than the the reactions that could occur, it's just the natural human error issues that either come from, we said, robbing parts to keep the system running, or there could be critical PMs that needed to be done, but the process is shut down. Maybe the maintenance crew is now a skeleton crew. That PM doesn't get done, and that piece of equipment starts back up, and it was close to a, a run to failure. And so it, uh, it it's it's a lot of, in addition, I said to the to the the, the chemical reactions or other things that could take place, and uh, making sure that the lines are truly purged before you shut it down. It means everything goes through, flows through like it should, and you've got clean, clear lines. There's just that uh, again natural tendency to try to uh, maintain other parts of the process where you you're you're robbing from uh you know idle equipment so that could impact bonding and grounding uh it could impact a lot of things um and and if those aren't properly checked before startup it could be uh, could be disastrous yeah so maybe maybe let's dig into that a bit so maybe we'll start with the the shutdown because that would be generally what's happening first unless it's the first time you're starting it up let's start with the shutdown and then the startup on the shutdown side what are things that people should be thinking about, you know, processes and procedures that should be followed to do that. So I think when, when, when you make that decision to, to shut a line down, I think the first thing you, you, you should do is kind of look at what other systems are connected to the process that you're shutting down. So if, if you have a, a dust collector and it's process A and it's shutting down, but you're also running process B off the same dust collector, you know that that collector has to run in order for process B to continue to to run, and and sometimes that, you know, it it, it seems simple, but sometimes folks don't think about those interconnected upstream and downstream processes when you make the shutdown. But you you should always say, you know, what what's interconnected? If I shut this down, what's the potential domino effect? And then you always want to make sure you're shutting down and purging all lines all systems of any material. So complete a run, don't leave anything sitting there. When you're shutting down your dust collectors, let the dust collectors run for a cycle to make sure all the lines are purged. And also make sure when you shut it down, uh, if you're shutting it down for, for energy purposes, it'll go through its natural 
Uh, if it's uh, uh, one of the pulse jet cleaners, it'll go through its cleaning process as it, as it shuts down. But you want to make sure ideally that what you're leaving behind during that shutdown is a clean piece of equipment that has no residual materials in it. You want to make sure from a housekeeping standpoint that you clean up all, because it, it depends on whether or not you're going to just shut it down and leave power to the system, or if you're going to shut it down and kill power to, to all you know, components and, and all devices. Uh, but there should be a, a general focus on making sure that the area is cleaned, that you don't have a buildup of materials on electrical components or systems, particularly if it's a, a dust that could, you know, uh, absorb tons of moisture and sit, in the, sit there and harden and, and cause issues with, uh, with components in the equipment that could impact startup. So those are some, some basic high-level things you want to do uh, as, you, as you look at the shutdown. And again, make sure that as you shut it down, probably one of the last steps is to uh, implement some type of a barricade and control system. You're still going to want to check it during startup, but at least if you barricade it off, make sure, make it known that this equipment is down. It could uh, prevent some you know unnecessary access to uh, to the area and lead to other injuries that are not uh, dust and, and fire related. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I wrote down a couple points here. So you know, stop and think about before you, you stop the system. <laughs> take a moment and think about what is the impact going to be in the upstream and downstream and connected processing operations and and are there any hazards that can be created from that um, you want to let the system run to purge out the line and i think about this like say if you had a pressure washer and you're putting away for the winter you want to make sure you run all the water of the pressure washer it's going to freeze um, and and you know break break all your your hose and stuff in your pressure washer same with the dust you want to let it run through make sure you don't have that dust sitting there in the duct work in in the processing equipment let any automatic cleaning processes take place. So if the dust collector pulse valves need to do their, their shutoff sequence, uh, make sure that's happening. And if, if there's an electrical trip, say, that shuts down the facility, and you want to think about what systems may have not had a chance to do that reset, that's probably a, a good one to put in there as well. Um, clean up the area, remove any dust that's on the equipment, and then barricade and, and control so that uh, people aren't accessing that equipment or trying to use it or they have an idea that's shut down. Anything else we missed on the shutdown process? There's uh, there's another, and it, it's it's one of those uh, weird, wild things that that could possibly happen. Uh, some equipment, when you, you know, like extruders, uh, in some cases, some packaging equipment, if you kill power to it for a certain amount of time, um, and this is one you want to check with the OEM and, and verify. Sometimes during a startup it will default to a factory set program and your critical safety data, your critical recipe data, all that stuff may be lost. Uh, this happened with one uh, company I, I worked with. We took a piece of equipment down, killed all power to it. It sat for more than eight hours. And what we learned was that in that eight hour mark, it, it had enough of a backup to retain programming but once it got beyond that eight hours it it basically defaults to when you start it back up a factory setting and the factory setting of course uh, in a lot of instances there are critical safeties that are bypassed and things like that so uh, and, it, and this kind of mix into our, our discussion of startup you want to validate any of those recipes and programs prior to starting up just to make sure that everything that you have in there in terms of critical safeties upper lower limits 
even in terms of your dust collection systems, if you have like variable frequency drives, things like you want to make sure all that stuff's still functioning prior to running a product. You want to do that system startup first uh, before, all, before all that happens. So as you shut it down, you want to make sure it's killing the power going to create a hazard versus leaving power to critical systems so they can continue to function and retain uh, the settings that you put in for safety. Oh, that's a that's a really good one, and that could really save hazard wise as well, but also you know time and, and anguish for the the team that now they've lost their their uh, process settings and set points and that sort of thing that that may not be a hazard as well. And I'm sure you probably only learned that lesson once, <laughs> so we're hoping that people are listening only only have to learn that now instead of when they. Just learn it that one time, and then after that, you'll you'll uh, you'll forever. It's the same thing with your uh, if you have the the chemical suppression systems on um, your, your dust collectors or other vessels. Uh, generally, there is uh, backup power to them, you know, unless you you know you're running a generator. But after uh, I think they they have eight hour. I could be wrong. Uh, I know you know listeners who who have more experience in that may be able to tell, but I think it's about eight hours, and then they will discharge because they fail safe. So you want to make sure that your uh, explosion protection systems, as you go through the shutdown, that all of those devices are in a steady or ready state uh, and not in a position where they could uh, potentially discharge. Like I said, with a lot of those um, uh, systems like uh, the chemical suppression, after uh, power's interrupted, they do have a, a backup reserve. But after that, the idea is that I fail safe versus... Um, uh, keeping all the contents inside the, uh, the bottle and not, not spraying at all. No, that makes sense. And I, I guess the general category there is just thinking about when you turn off the equipment, are you going to lose your set points or is there some default behavior that you need to think about, in, including the, the equipment that you're using, but also the explosion um, safety equipment and safety critical equipment may also have some, some settings and some processes there that are involved. Well, that's interesting. Well, I didn't know about the, the bottles and I'm sure someone listening that's from uh from a, a suppression company, will uh, will chime in at some point and, and let us know about how that works. So we sort of covered one of the starting things for startup. Then thinking and, and double checking your set points, but there's probably some steps even before that. So what should people be going through when they're looking to start up the, the system again? When you start up again, it, it's it's like uh, any um, any situation. You just make sure that is a general, I guess, scene safe. So make sure that everything is still properly secured bolted in place, all that good stuff. So you, you still got good equipment. All the doors are there. This gets back to that point I made before about people potentially taking components off before uh, to, to keep other lines that are running uh, functioning. So you want to make sure that physically you still have lines connected. You got ducting connected that you've got, uh, if you've got any protection systems, be it sprinklers, be it uh, chemical suppression bottles, all those things are in place and, and functional. You want to make sure that, that just physically everything is still attached. You want to check your bonding and grounding, make sure that it's physically still there, make sure all that's there. Uh, I generally advise the continuity check at this point in time too, that you want to make sure that if that equipment's set for some time, that all of your bonding and grounding is still, you know, not just physically there, but it's still uh, still functional. Uh, this kind of gets back to the point we made about shutdown. If things aren't cleaned, you don't know if there's any material that potentially could impact that uh, that connection of any bonding wires and things like that. So um, 
you're going to make sure physically is good. You're going to make sure that all the, the, the critical systems, safety systems first are working. And then it's interesting because in the, the, the pharmaceutical environment, and, and, and those, uh, and I know, Chris, you've, you've got some experience in this too, but in, in, in the pharmaceutical environment, there's the, the IQ, OQ, PQ. There's an installation qualification, there's a, an operational qualification, and there's a performance qualification. So did, did I install it right? Is it performing as it should, all critical safeties? And does it perform under, under load? Does it, do, does it give me the desired result? And in the pharma environment, generally there is that, that in their validation protocol, there's a requirement that they go back through at least the performance qualification, making sure the equipment performs, the e-stops, your interlocks, uh, that all of the, the belt cycles uh, function, that all critical controls in terms of dust collection or flammable uh, atmosphere monitors, all those things are, are, are still functional. It's, it's, it's kind of ingrained in that industry, but for others, I'd say you can kind of use that same thought process. So before you start running full product, kind of do a dry run and make sure that, again, all your e-stops, your interlocks, make sure that you've got the right uh, face velocities on dust collection. Make sure that you've got all the conveying velocities in your, in your duct work. Make sure that your, your fans are fully functional on, on the system. Make sure that even with the dust collectors, you know, Check and confirm that your that the 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 seal on your your bags, if you've got the, the you know bag house systems, that all those are 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 in place. And so once you do that kind of dry run and you get through that process, not under full load where it's the heavy production that you do, and you see that everything is is functional, you also want to make sure that and this is that that cultural piece. Let's say prior to the shutdown for COVID or whatever, you you hired a new crew of of new uh, new employees. You hired a crew of, of new employees. They came in, they've been sitting idle, maybe haven't you know worked in this particular area for some time. You want to have a focused orientation to the system again for those people, because you don't want to just assume that they're going to be able to jump back in and start up they're still new. They haven't had enough time to uh, work out the bugs and learn all the processes as they should. So as that last step, you want to make sure that those folks are, uh, you know, for one, they're, they're comfortable. They still understand what, uh, what functions are there, safety functions, how to, you know, start up and shut down the system if anything happens in response to upsets. Uh, but it's something that can often be uh, overlooked as you're looking to you know, hurry up and get back into place. You want to make sure that anybody who's new uh, or hasn't even or hasn't worked in that area. So it could be a new employee to the company, or it could be somebody just new to a particular area. You want to make sure that you kind of do a good uh, kind of awareness check and performance check that they understand exactly what they're doing before you turn them loose. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I broke it down to to three pieces there. And and the the first one was really checking the things that are secure. Would you do a walkthrough of the the entire line at this point? Just you know. Look. I would do yeah a walkthrough of the entire line and and again it's it's a it's a, a visual check. Ideally, you'd take uh, you know maybe a couple of operators, supervisors, maintenance personnel, engineering, and your EHS team. So create a, a mini you know power group that can walk through this and and look and confirm that everything's physically where it should be. And, and, and it's going to be critical to have people who have, uh, you know, intimate knowledge of the piece of equipment to know that if, um, you know, a, a, a bolt is missing or anything like that is missing, that it, it's, and it's critical part of the process that they, uh, 
they immediately call it to everyone's attention. Yeah, it makes makes total sense. Walk through kind of the whole line, start to finish, make sure things are secure, make sure they're connected, make sure maintenance didn't go in and and actually probably check the maintenance log, see if the team was in there working on any any parts of the operation, double check those ones, make sure they're connected, uh, potentially do a, a continuity check on grounding and bonding, and at least visual check to make sure, and, and it probably makes sense to actually test it end to end as well. I don't actually know how they they do that process. So if there's a, a two minute explanation of how the continuity check is done, that might be something that's useful for the audience. Yeah, it, it's uh, you basically uh, what, what I've always done in the past is just getting a, getting a multimeter and, and checking resistance, looking for that 10 ohms or less. And, and you, you check across a couple points, check across a couple critical points and particularly anywhere you've got transitions and where you don't have any, uh, you know, true metal to metal contact through your process. Uh, so you just get your multimeter and you put the uh, the probes on either end and you uh, you you check that check that resistance. There there's some really good how tos that um, you can incorporate into training on on YouTube. Um, some really really good, uh, not just um, you know home based checks, but some industry uh, uh, checks on that. But um, you know, the the question always comes up: Do I check every connection? Uh, generally, I, I don't. You know, you you may not have to you know check every every connection. I would say across any transition where you've got uh, a flexible boot or you've got some uh, flexible ducting or anything like that, uh, those areas are particularly uh, critical that you want physically check that you've got. Uh, you know, a, a bonding wire or something in place, and then you check for, for continuity. Then if you've got the compression couplings, uh, I see this a lot out in the field where the compression coupling is, is, is wrapped, of course, around the, the, the ducting, but um, the metal grounding strap is missing. And if you look inside it, you, you'll see that the gasket is wrapped, but you don't see the actual uh, metal. So it, it's one of those where there could be that false sense of security that it's, it's there, it must be in place, but it, it's not. And so, uh, you know, spot checking a couple of those. One of the things I always tell clients to do is create a, a, a general visual in your plant and have your maintenance folks uh, from floor level, because some of these are like high up in the air, you know, Paint each end of, of the uh, the uh, duct that the, the coupling is uh, is connecting, and that would be the place that they would always put the the uh, uh, grounding uh, uh, plate. And you could see that from from the floor. You know, you could see that much of a space, and then make sure as they put it on, it's it's a little uh, visual. But that's a, like I said, there's a couple good uh, good how tos uh, on on YouTube. But that's the that's that's the uh, Kevin Dime Store version of, of checking continuity. <laughs> well, I would say it would be good to have somebody that, that has knowledge about that sort of thing on the team doing this walkthrough, so they can say, "Hey, you know, this flexible, the flexible connectors. When you check those, the um, you know the locations that are prone to electrostatic charge buildup, um, those are the areas you want to be want to be checking for continuity." So yeah, we have the kind of first step is to just make sure things are secure. Then we have you know the a step after that, which I, I just labeled validation. So, you know, maybe do a test run, start things up slowly, make sure that things are working, that you don't have, you know, you didn't miss a connection, they have dust spew, spewing out, or even that your pickups have the correct velocities. Just make sure these systems operating correctly. And you mentioned this is, it has some procedures that are generally followed in pharmaceutical, but then in other industries, they may not have um, as robust systems in place. 
and this ties into your other point on um, set points. You want to make sure that your uh, nerding system is is bringing the auction level down far enough, and you need to make sure your set points are all working correctly. So there's like this validation phase before you ramp up to full production. Then also in there is, is training the employees. And I put in training the employees. I don't know if this is something that is typically outlined as as a requirement, but I've I've seen enough to to probably suggest this something to do. Get get the employees to stand clear when you're firing the thing up. So in the nylon explosion I mentioned at the outset, the the because they had so many inspection doors, the one of the employees was most severely injured was still closing all the inspection doors as they fired things up. Um, so they're standing right in front of the inspection door. And the other one that I mentioned, the million grain with uh, Dr. Smith from two episodes ago, the the same thing is inspection. The the dust collector that the explosion propagate into had venting, but from pressure piling and, and not having isolation that line, um, it it found another route to escape. So it, it blew the vents out, but also blew the inspection door off. I don't know if that employee was there intentionally at that time or not. Um, that wasn't the come out of the investigation, but uh, it's very possible he was there, you know, checking on the system while they're doing the startup. Uh, and you want to, you really want to stay clear from where flame path is going to be. Um, and those inspection doors are, are uh, they're vents. <laughs> if you don't have vents, they are vents. Or or there's going to be a failure on a weld or wherever the weakest part of the equipment is, that's where the, the explosion is going to escape. So you kind of want to stay clear from that. And that's where, again, that physical scene safe is, you know, going through and looking at and identifying, you know, those, those points. And, and first, are they physically still in place? So even though it, it would be a weak point where pressure and flame could come out, are they still there? Or did somebody remove them? Was somebody in the middle of doing something and all that? But, but yeah, that, that general scene safe, that group that's doing that in, initial inspection should always stay together and always, you know, fire up the system from a point of a, a remote operating spot so that they're not in danger. So that, that's a very good point. This is a almost a checklist in itself that we could we could be putting together for people. Hopefully the people that are listening are taking notes or at least uh, flagged it to, to come back to when they want to go start their operation again. Are there any any particular things? So we started about, we talked about this kind of, I'll call it a typical startup and shutdown procedure. In the, the current um, environment with, COVID-19 and sort of larger scale shutdowns and we would typically see not letting certain people on site due to physical distancing rules and that sort of thing. Are there any other, you know, added precautions people should be thinking about in this pandemic or even in the future if we have other things like this where we have these large shutdowns? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's interesting because um, as we talk about, uh, you know, starting up and you know, contamination from uh, from the uh, you know, COVID nineteen. Um, there's a there's a really popular sanitizer that's used in a lot of industries, um, chlorine dioxide, and it's it's uh, it's an oxidizer, of course. But this is one of those where, in the process of cleaning and restoring my factory, to say I'm going to, you know. Get rid of all the the and in chlorine dioxide, it, it's again it's effective against bacteria and viruses. It basically kills almost every pathogen you could you can imagine. But I've seen instances where again it's a strong oxidizer, um, and it has to have a dwell time. So once you apply it, and and, and you, again it's 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 a, a pesticide. So you want to make sure you've got a reputable company who's working with you to do it, but. At that point in time, when you think about your dust collection systems that could hold combustible particulate solids, you don't want that system just running 
why you've got the gas in the bill. For one, it, it could impact your, your dwell times, but you're now taking the oxidizer through the system. The dust collection system should never be used as a purge to, to uh, remove any of the gases because with those insulative low MIE materials, if you have that oxidizer now going through the ductwork, going through the dust collector, and you get a pulse, you have a very you know decent recipe for a uh, for a deflagration event. So I, I think as we think about people starting up after the pandemic and wanting to keep the environment safe, uh, there are some solvent based uh, cleaners that you see in a lot of industries and things. But most of the ones I see that are for food safety and other things, they're, they're, they're uh, tr- true oxidizers. You want to be careful with these cleaning compounds as it relates to your dust handling processes, uh, because you could have, uh, again, uh, I, I hate to use the term, but the, the, the perfect storm where everything uh, uh, kind of matches up. A lot of the uh, drain cleaners that you see, uh, they're exothermic. So when you apply the, um, the, the sanitation chemicals, they're, they're dry granules, uh, but that process of cleaning uh, gives off heat. And so it's a source of ignition that you always have to think about as it relates to dust. So if you go through and you sanitize at the same time you're producing, you've got that additional risk of potentially some added oxidizing agents or uh, flammable, um, I mean, excuse me, uh, ignition sources from the exothermic reaction uh, from a lot of those uh, drain uh, cleaner type uh, materials. Particularly, I said, I see it in, in food more so than any other industry. Yeah, I hadn't really thought of that, but it, it makes total sense. Um, both from ignition sources. So you have something that's just reacting exothermically. It can be the ignition source. Um, It's causing heat to build up. But also if you have an oxidizing chlorine dioxide, so it has oxide on board the molecule, it's in the name. Um, So it's, it's oxidizing. The testing for things like vent design, suppression, and all that sort of thing that we do in the 20-year chamber, that's in air. It's not in a, in a a medium that has um, more oxygen available. And most dust explosions are, I've never seen any research on on the use of sanitizers, and and but I'm just kind of hypothesizing here. Most dust explosions are um, fuel rich. There's a lot of dust, and only a little bit actually burns because there's not enough oxygen in the air to burn it all. Um, but if you start adding extra excess oxygen molecules with oxidizers, you could have um, something that generates eight bar generating twelve bar instead because you're reacting a lot more of that fuel, and and you might you know you might end up with not only just having an explosion that you wouldn't normally have, but you may also have a, a much more severe explosion. Some of these um, very, very large explosions, chemical explosions that we've seen come out of China have been because they're, they're not following proper storage standards and they're storing oxidizers beside fuels. So when the, the two cargo ships containers go up, you have oxidizer on one side and fuel on the other, and then you have these explosions that are you know, very massive um, that's that's something different than we'd see in a in a dust producing industry. But if you start adding oxidizer into your dust collector, you could get a, a much bigger bang than you would see from from reacting in air. So, and I've never seen any research done on that. But the the thought process of these cleaners and and thinking about uh, you know the hazards that might develop, I think it's really important. Um, any anything else on on this? I, that was a good one that I had not thought of until you mentioned it. No, I, I think that's it. I think that the idea of a team effort, an orderly startup, an orderly shutdown, is just kind of a, a general theme. If if you if you shut it down right, and you maintain and you preserve what you shut down after you to go all those steps, the startup should be 
uh, not time consuming, but it should be effective because you're doing a check and balance on, on what's there. And then just thinking outside the box about any of those uh, variables, like I said, the, the cleaning materials, uh, employee interaction, their length of time in the area or, or with the organization. I think putting all those that the systems, the the people and the process and materials and putting them all in a nice little mix and saying they each have equal parts that are important. Uh, I think you you achieve a level of safety during a startup or shutdown. Oh, that's perfect. And yeah, this has been a great o- overview of, of that whole process, really from soup to nuts. Uh, I think it's going to be really valuable for the audience, or I know it's going to be really valuable for the audience. Um, anything else you want to want to leave the listeners off on today from from your experience with Combustible Dust? Everybody just keep fighting a good fight. You're, you're doing a, a great job. Uh, I, I really uh, enjoy all the, the information that you're putting out. You're making it uh, uh, definitely something that's, that's piquing everyone's awareness. And I think once uh, we, we get more people on board, we can start to see more uh, proactive, preventive uh, steps. So again, kudos to you and, and all the efforts. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I, I already know we're I'm going to jump into the calendar to schedule another another episode with you on uh, on safety culture in, in combustible dust handling and trees as well, because I, I think that's a, that's a critically important area as well. So with that, I want to say thank you, Kevin, for coming on. And yeah, I look forward to the chance to having you back on the podcast in the future. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Kevin Jeffries, Senior Process Safety Specialist at Decker Process Safety. We've been talking all around process startup and shutdown. And we talked through a little bit of Kevin's background, and then we got into discussing uh, what kind of difficulties can can arise from startup and shutdown? We talked about fermentation, off-gassing, clearing material buildup or, or choking or uh, blocks in the system, potentially having smaller crews, potentially needing spare parts to be brought in. You know, there's a, a lot of different things that may um, happen during a that that requires that the the shutdown startup happens. Uh, but we went, then went through and said, well, how do you actually? What things should we think about when we're doing this process? So for shutdown. We talked about looking at your connected systems, thinking of what's involved there, um, what's upstream, what's downstream from the process you're turning off. Um, let the systems run to, to purge all the dust out. You don't want fuel laying inside the equipment. You also don't want fuel laying outside the equipment, so make sure you're doing your host cleaning and host keeping and um, getting the dust that's cleaned up outside the equipment as well. And then we talked about barricading and, and putting some sort of control system in place and also noting um, you should be doing this in your, your management or your maintenance systems logs anyway, but make sure you're logging any maintenance is going on while that system's down so you don't start it up when, you know, things connected or something like that. And like Kevin mentioned a really interesting point about the default conditions, what happens to a piece of equipment or a safety critical piece of equipment when it's shut down for a long period? Is it going to reset to factory defaults? Is it going to fail um, safe and and do things where it's maybe ejecting its contents and that sort of thing? Um, really important to consider. I could even envision, you know, a case where you, you do have a maintenance team in there doing work and one of these things fails safe and and ends up uh, ejecting while they're in there. So there's definitely things to think about. Um, in terms of startup, we covered three areas. So one, you want to make sure, do a walkthrough, make sure everything is is ready to go. Things are connected, things are bolted down. Um, all of the systems are secure. You want to look at your bonding and grounding, make sure that that's still in place. Um, the second thing we discussed was you want to make sure you're training your team sufficiently and also keeping employees clear while you're doing the startup. Then once you actually start up, you want to have some sort of validation routine. Is it running um, as you're starting it up? Are the different pieces making sense? Are you getting the right readings? Are your pressure readings correct? Are your temperature readings correct? Looking at all those as you start up in this kind of piecewise manner will give you the best chance to getting back to full production the, the quickest without having any sort of safety incident. 
So that's it for this episode of the Dust City Science Podcast. Um, we covered a lot of ground on this topic of process startup and shutdown. So always uh, you can connect with Kevin. We'll have a, a way to do that through the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 80. We'll try to pull a link for that uh, DHA webinar that he's, he's doing through Decker Process Safety. Um, we'll put that in the show notes so you can get that there as well. And I just want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing in industries handling combustible dust around the world. I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to get back. I'm running through this, this COVID-19 uh, pandemic that's going on around the world and everybody's staying safe and healthy during this time. 